Graham Smash! Welcome to the MCU Quarantine Gauntlet, a journey through the Marvel Cinematic Universe one movie at a time. I'm your host, Luke Shoemaker, and with me is my longtime friend, who you will not like if he is angry, Graham Thomas. Graham, what's the worst thing you have ever spent $3.99 on? Uh, Luke, that would have to be the rotten smoothie greens from Walmart last week we were able to use and not able to return, by the way, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, I did spend two forty-nine dollars on renting The Incredible Hulk on Amazon Prime, and retail price was definitely three ninety-nine, but they are apparently running a special, and so $1.50 off, I, I'll take it. I could have bought it for seven ninety-nine, and... The ironic thing, the ironic thing is it's the second time that we've rented this movie in the last year. I probably should have just went ahead and bought it, but, um, oh, well, you, you know, you live and you learn. And, um, you know, the wife told me I should have bought it. She's probably right. Aren't they always, aren't they always do not tell my wife that you got it for two forty nine when I rented it for three ninety nine Cause that may lead, uh, to uh, me sleeping on the couch so (laughs) so the incredible hulk opening thoughts information this comes out a month after iron man and a month before the dark knight so i'm nerding out i'm you know 18 year old man excited to going back to the theater to watch another superhero movie and i like you I, i didn't hate the 2003 version i thought director ang lee he did an all right job with the film, but I was just so confused at why you would reboot so quickly. And, but I understand that they were trying to start off and get this, this perfect Marvel universe platform and and create these phases. And they wanted to push out a new Hulk. I've always loved Edward Norton as an actor and the various roles I've seen of him, him in, but I left a little disappointed. Uh, The movie had a laundry list of issues. And as an 18 year old, yeah, it just it didn't develop characters and give me this deep connection. We kind of talked about that in the last pod. I wasn't really, you know, connected to Hulk because there was, it was so rushed. He doesn't really talk or have a connection with any human life until we meet Stanley the Pizza Man. And honestly, my favorite part of the movie was when I got to see Tony Stark again. And on rewatch, I felt very similar. Everything is rushed. The plot's so convoluted. I didn't really like the chemistry there. Um, and then we get to the villain, Tim Roth's arc. It's There's no development. I don't understand his motivations other than he just was, wants to be the best fighter, maybe. I, I just I love all the Hulk we get from this point on in the MCU, like in the Avengers. That was a great uh, version of the Hulk. And when we finally get to Thor Ragnarok, I'll discuss how great of a job Taika Waititi did with him. And it's just a real bummer that up until january of this year marvel didn't have sole ownership of hulk movies and now that they finally apparently have got the contractual rights to make a solo film maybe we're going to get the one that we desperately would love to see and that's you know when we got when we got done watching the rewatch and that's sort of what i had at the end of my notes is like it's time for another hulk movie it's time to to give Hulk some sort of a solo movie and, you know, going back, like, like you talked about the 2003 version. Um, I didn't hate it. I, there were parts where I really liked, I mean, it was just kind of, it was a little bit different, 
and there were some parts of the movie that they were just a little strange to me. Like Hulk was so big, King was like his, like a like a two story building. <laughs> and I love the the soundtrack and um and you know we going into the the 2008 version. I remember going and seeing it in the theater, but I don't remember being overly excited about it because I was confused. We just had this movie, you know, and this was also when they were rebooting the Spider Mans and. You know, it's like why why are why are we rebooting everything so much? And um when the movie was over, I don't remember feeling disappointed about it because I didn't really have expectations for it. I just thought it was a you know, another fun action movie that was easily forgettable as time goes on. And um as we re rewatched it, um, you know, I noticed that there were some holes, I noticed that there were you know, some, some really kind of fun parts about it, but, you know, otherwise it was just okay to me. Um, big indicator for me about how much I like a movie when it comes out, do I buy it on, you know, back in, so back in 2008, that would have been Blu-ray DVD. I, I don't own the movie and sort of like Iron Man. I, I just don't own it. And I own a lot of these and, um, you know, and, and, and so, but wrapping up with the, the, the future of Hulk, you know, is it time to get other solo Hulk, Hulk film? And I think, I think it is time. Um, I think the Marvel karmic universe has a enough momentum going for it right now and enough characters at play that they can really probably have some fun with the, with the Hulk film. So um, I guess we'll see, you know, where they go from here but um you know it's been 12 years since we've had like a hulk solo movie yeah so the hope is in phase four that they finally now that they own the rights to make a solo movie because since they haven't had those rights clearly they've just tried to attach him to another character to involve him and that's kind of what we got in ragnarok guess we'll see going forward so this was released in june 13th of 2008 graham i have finally graduated high school <laughs> oh man so summer of 2008 you know it's just like the, the iron man still had one child and had another one on the way doing a few months and just trying to to see everything i can while i've got the time to yeah, time certainly does fly. So this has a $150 million budget. That's a pretty large chunk of change. But the bad side of that is domestically, it only brings in $134 million and $264 million worldwide. As far as numbers go, this brings it as the lowest MCU movie that we have discussed and or will discuss. So let's get into the cast. Well, before we do that, though, do you think the reason why it didn't bring in that much money is because there were probably people that were confused. Like, didn't we just see this film, you know, didn't we, or were they, you know, clearly was going to be sort of a, a reboot of Hulk and, you know, not that the, not that the other Hulk movie just made a ton of money either, but. I think. I mean, it goes into because if you look at the numbers, fifty-five million was made on the opening weekend, which is over a third of what it made in grand total domestically. And I'm 
quite possibly people that watched it that opening weekend through word of mouth, because we didn't really have the huge social media presence we do today. A lot of those people told other people it's not worth spending the money on at the theater because 55 million in opening weekend yet through its entire run it only gets to 134. Uh, that's a large disparity. And I, that, I think that it's a combination of that and what you just said, people probably thought, do another Hulk origin story. I just watched a Hulk origin story. But you know, if they were to make a Hulk movie today with say Wolverine in it and people knew Wolverine was going to be in it, that sucker would make a billion dollars. I mean, you know, I'd be how I midnight, feel about it. midnight premiere. You and I would be sitting there a thousand percent. Give me Hulk versus Wolverine. So we get into cast. We have Edward Norton playing our Bruce Banner. He's a three-time Academy Award nominee. And right out of the gate, one of my favorite films, one of my dad's favorite films. And if you're a cinephile out there, go out and watch Primal Fear. He does a fantastic job in it. It's just has such a twist in it. It's an incredible movie. And he's been in a lot of great productions. Another movie that's become a cult classic is Fight Club, which he does an excellent job in. And I've always thought Edward Norton was an incredible talent with this like very diverse range. He does comedy. He does drama. He does action. But in my opinion, in this movie, he spent a lot of time with the rewrites and helping create the script. And, and I think as far as a character goes in it, I think he got lost in that side of production. I've heard that Edward Norton is very egotistical. I mean, I just, you know, and, and someone who, who goes and rewrites scripts like that just gives me the appearance of being that way. Um, a couple of my favorite Edward Norton movies that, you know, you didn't mention one was red dragon with Anthony Hopkins is mm-hmm. in the Hannibal Lecter series. That one was just fabulous. And the illusionist was really kind of cool. Um, and though I've not seen it, I've heard that he was really, really good in American History X. So, um, again, like you said, a very versatile actor and can do a lot of things. Um, but is he right for the role of Bruce Banner? And I don't know that I can say that he is. I'm with you. And yeah, he, such a incredible career as far as some of the movies on the filmography. Yeah. Red dragon is a great sequel to or a great prequel to uh, silence of the lambs. And I don't, I agree his, him as a Bruce Banner. I just didn't, it didn't work for me. So talking about what really didn't work for me, Liv Tyler as Betty Ross, the love interest of Bruce Banner. I'll always see her as Arwen. Like, you know, I will always see her as Aragon's lover, not Bruce Banner's. For those of you out there that are Lord of the Rings fans, she played Arwen in the trilogy. That's when, and you know, she first popped up on my radar in Armageddon as uh, Ben Affleck's love interest in that movie. And then she does the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This film, I thought it ultimately might have taken her career down a peg because if you look after this film, what she does in her career, and it's mostly television dramas, and, we, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing, but there's not really a movie role within her career post-2008 that had any accolade or anything that you can really think of. She had an appearance in the movie Ad Astra, which is a, is a pretty solid movie, but talk about a, a block what was supposed to be a blockbuster movie or something that was going to be a hit kind of tanking other roles you may have gotten 
You know, I, I think of her as Arwen too. I mean, you know, and that that was a huge series to be involved in for at the time. You know, Lord of the Rings, the biggest thing going there for a while. Um, one of my favorite Liv Tyler movies is One Night at McCool's. I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, that one, um, my wife hates it. She just absolutely can't stand that movie. I, I think it's really, really funny, though. And I think she would did her role very well in that movie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with her as Betty Ross. I mean, I, you know, um, and I probably the main reason why is I can't really imagine anybody else as Betty Ross. It's not so much about the person playing the character there. It's, it's just the character itself. You know, I'm just not, um, a big, uh, Betty Ross, uh, person so much it's not like black widow and his connection either so when we get into the further versions it is just i'm with you the betty ross tied to the thunderbolt ross thing i know comically it is a big deal but for me in these movies it's rough yep and you know as we go on and in the hulk and hulk you know continues to be referenced in all these movies we don't hear about betty ross anymore it's just it's like she doesn't exist and you know that's that's another opportunity for the the hulk series if they're able to keep get it back going again is that hey you know betty ross is somewhere you know in a classroom pining away after bruce banner and in the forgotten romance and you know so maybe that maybe they're keeping that on in the back of their minds with something to do but um you know she just kind of she just vanishes after this movie, kind of like Liv Tyler's career. It just vanishes. <laughs> it is of note that I should throw out there to our listeners. Uh, you kind of talked about, touched on She-Hulk. There are rumors that Liv Tyler will reprise her role as Betty Ross in She-Hulk. Uh, we will see if those rumors come true. So our villain, Tim Roth, playing Emil Blonsky. Tim Roth, you always talked about uh, guys that are British being good villains and this is certainly a guy that he's he started with his career on made for tv movies in britain he's got one academy award nomination for rob roy which graham if you love liam neeson it's a fantastic watch uh, imagine a braveheart type movie it's one of my mom's favorite movies she loves the portrayal that liam neeson does tim roth he first come it came on my radar when I watch Pulp Fiction with my brother back in middle school, which I can't believe I watched that movie in middle school because it's I not. I can't a, believe you did either. It's not a movie. You know, let's just say my brother he didn't care, and mom didn't know. Was your brother like Tim Riggins' older brother? You know, <laughs> I mean, always getting you into trouble, and you're the, you're Tim Riggins, or I'm I would say I am Tim Riggins. He's uh, definitely <laughs> a, an interesting character, but uh Steve certainly opened my eyes to a lot of things in this world. Uh in Pulp Fiction, he's got a small role, but it's electric. That scene where they're robbing jewels, he's great in it. And in middle school with that's when I had this big, you know, open exploring different genres of film and all the different movies we talk about. So I wanted to gobble up more of Quentin Tarantino, even though at that age, probably a little too early. And I, so I watched Reservoir Dogs, which he has a lot larger role in, and he's an, he's incredible in that movie. He, you know, the, this movie kind of takes the code names, Mr. Blue and Mr. Green, 
from that film. Now as a 30 year old man, man, I've got to see several Tim Roth movies and he's talented. Uh, he still gets roles in entertaining films, but I don't know if he should have taken this one. I, the the movie Selma that came out in 2014, which is a great movie. It's a great watch. He plays however you picture Governor Wallace being in that era. I, he does a fantastic job with that. And he's been in a lot of, of good movies. One of his most underrated ones for me is Invincible, where he plays basically a showman for the Nazis. And he kind of changes his appearance to make it look like he's more of an Aryan race person, yet he is a Jew and none of them realize it. And it's actually a, a very underrated, underrated movie for sure. I'm going to have to scrap my notes on this part because I just, man, I'm about to watch me some Tim Roth movies. I just haven't seen enough of them. He's, he does, you know, in the roles that he's been given in his career, he does a, a pretty good job. This just is a, a like a, black mark though on his career to me some of his greatest work might have been from like 85 to 95 you know after that his roles came in and out but he certainly he when he's in his british moment i think he gives off a great bad guy and i this role i'll get more into that later uh he definitely <laughs> has some of the best one-liners in the movie yeah I mean. true true the ready for round three that you add later that that's a that's a good one so William Hurt playing General Thunderbolt Ross. Out of this entire movie, only two people make an appearance in the MCU. He is one of them. I'm going to throw it out later who the other one is. He's a four-time Academy Award nominee, and he did something in the 80s that has only been done by him and Russell Crowe. He, he got nominated for Best Actor in three consecutive years, winning in 1986. Uh, he's a great, I could have listed, you know, I could have listed 20 different movies off his filmography that are great watches and critically acclaimed or did well in box office. He's arguably the best actor to come from the eighties or easily in the top five. He, he does uh, kiss of the spider woman, which that's what he won for his Academy award. It's not a comic hero uh movie even though it has a title that would suggest that children of a lesser god and broadcast news you are a journalist have you watched broadcast news i have not i think the only paper about journalism or the only uh, movie about journalism i've watched is the michael keaton movie the paper oh really good well uh, spotlight another good one with him and having to do with journalism i think broadcast news should be a quarantine ad for you a quarantine ad for you he's been in entertaining movies and he has a 40-year career of ripping off just good roles from body heat in 81 to the to all the way up through all his mcu roles he's a jewel and when he leaves the screen when it's his last day his last film i think it'll be a pretty sad day because his filmography has so many movies that i definitely enjoy you know, and uh, here again, I haven't seen most of the hardly any of those films on this list here. But in this role, I mean, he is just fabulous. You just learn to to not like him. That's how well he plays that role. Um, you just and and even when we get into Civil War, when he's you know, I just just can't hardly stand him. 
and he just has that air about about him of just being a jerk and um so that, that's the sign of a good actor right there he's able to make you make you believe in it yeah i i agree 100 percent on the gosh i can't stand him the the, the accords this is nonsense get out of here ross so uh, we wanted to touch on one more appearance in this movie. Lou Ferrigno. He voices the Incredible Hulk, obviously, dating back to when he played the Hulk in the television series. But he has a cameo appearance as a security guard that Banner has to buy off uh, to basically get into the university. What a crucial cameo. He, I mean, obviously, he still voices the Hulk and the few lines the Hulk gets. But it was a great tip of the hat to him, especially when he stands up and he kind of towers over Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah, and he's so ripped and just what a what a physical specimen he is. I had forgotten all about this cameo until I we actually rewatched it again and um and it just kinda of dawned on me, holy crap, that's Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. You know? I don't know how you know that's maybe that's just the lack of interest I have in this film and and you know, that it something like that you would think would, would be more important to me, but, um, but it is what it is with this film. We can't get away from that. Oh uh, yeah. Always. It's going to be a black stain forever. Let's get into our director. Um, not a large filmography or a lot of different uh, projects that he's worked on, but Lewis Letterier, his most notable work for me. And it's a, it's a newer series on Netflix. It's called the dark crystal age of resistance. Visually, it's stunning and you, you kind of have to get past it's so stunning and so overwhelming at how it peaks. Uh, it's like sensory overload, but it's actually an incredible watch. He also has done the transporter movies. He's done clash of the Titans. And in 2013, he did now you see me, which is one of my favorite. It's in my top 10 magic or magician films. It's an, it's just an entertaining watch. Yeah, I haven't seen Now You See Me. I've seen The Transporter 1 with Jason Statham. And um, that was a good film. But it wasn't, you know, I didn't walk, I didn't, I didn't watch that film and be like, oh man, this was just fabulous. Just another good action movie. Um, and so, you know, I, clearly I've got a lot more uh, film watching to do. Well, uh Fortunately for me, being a teacher, you get a little more free time in the summer months. Not as much as people would imagine, and a lot of that has been dedicated to catching up on all things film. So we get well, into and not only that, you don't have any children either. So that's that's the big thing. There's just some of these movies you just can't watch with kids on, you know. No, that's true. That's that's an excellent point. Or a wife who doesn't like violent movies, so. Happy wife, happy life. So we get into our writer, Zach Penn, um, a, a favorite, one of a, fav a favorite of mine as a younger man, Last Action Hero was his first credited screenplay or storyline. It's, you know, got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, and I enjoy the heck out of that movie. You go into some of his other ones, and you kind of bounce around between a movie that I enjoy to a movie or that's just a tough watch so you go last action hero but then you get matthew broderick inspector gadget you go behind <laughs> enemy lines which is an awesome you know war type movie with gene hackman and owen wilson 
Then you go to <clears throat> X-Men 2, which is uh, – then you go Electra. Yeesh. Electra, X-Men, Last Stand, back-to-back, may be the roughest in our filmography when we've discussed writers so far. What do you think? I mean, we, we just should known we were in trouble with X-Men and Last Stand. <laughs> I mean, it's, I still can't figure out. And, you know, when you – remarkably – Somehow they sort of X Men sort of salvaged the mess that was. I don't know how they you know five years later when they did Days of Futures Past they kind of somewhat tried to right the ship temporarily at least for only one movie. Then it quickly sputtered back into you know doom with the last two X Men movies. But what's worse, Last Stand or or Dark Phoenix? Um. I don't know that I even saw Dark Phoenix. I saw X Men Apocalypse. <sighs> Dark Phoenix, and, possibly worse than that. <laughs> I mean, you know, just you, you hit it with with Future Class and, and Days of Future Past. That were those were were pretty good shows. And man, and I, I never saw Ready Player One. That's a oh, that's I'm so- jumping ahead here, but I hear it's good. Yeah, it, I was gonna say he bounces back though because he does the story for Avengers, which is beloved by this kind of was the taking off point for the MCU ready player one is for all the nerds out there and all the callbacks to different eighties video games or movies or even stuff in the nineties. That's a huge movie for people to watch. And then his newest product free guy that has kind of been delayed. It's a, a movie with Ryan Reynolds, which looks hilarious and it looks like a fun movie, but it's going to be released at a later date because of our current COVID crisis. So Zach Penn, some stinkers, but at the same time, he's, he's got a career that's kind of kind of come back here of late. Uh, yeah. Trivia, trivia night. Let's go into trivia night. So <clears throat> one that I have is, this is the only MCU phase one film in which Nick Fury, he does not appear in any capacity. However, in the opening credit montage at the 246 mark, there is a document that's on a shield page with the text that says Nick Fury, shield command, code red, New York, New York. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, those opening credits were, were kind of neat. I thought, you know, basically instead of doing an origin story, you get the origin story in the reboot and in the, in the opening credits. I mean, they they shove a lot of, uh, you know, stuff into, into that, which basically, you know, says that they're putting the 2003 Hulk movie off to the, you know, they're just forgetting it existed altogether. And without, but without, you know, in terms of like the footage from it. Now the story they're you know, they're keeping all the story. They're just keeping that movie back in 2003. So I'm, I'm with you. The opening credits, they are enjoyable. Uh, another trivia night, Edward Norton, he rewrote the script substantially. And in fact, on certain posters, he was credited as a writer under the pseudonym Edward Harrison. However, the Writers Guild Association eventually denied allowing him to be in that capacity. So Zach Penn is the only writer that gets credit for the film. You know, I would like to see what kind of rewrites we're talking about here because, you know, some editors, all they want to do is just pee on everything. You know, they got to leave their mark on. That's what it feels like with Edward Norton. 
you know, like we're going to do this my way and and I'm going to rewrite it. And you know what you'd almost like to get Zach Penn's uh, take on all that, you know, what was left, but you hear about this all the time, you know, the rewrites and the, would it be neat to see what maybe the Zach Penn uh, movie would have looked like? Yeah. That's like release the Snyder cut for justice league that everyone always discusses. Uh, there are moments of foreshadowing for Captain America here. I had to go back and kind of pause it a third time to see this, but uh, there's a portrait of Steve Rogers in General Ross's office, but there's also a deleted scene that was cut from this movie where Banner encounters Cap in the Arctic while he's on the run. I wish that, I kind of wish that may have been thrown in here just to kind of lay that foundation um but an interesting kind of that they were throwing that in there it wasn't chris was the the portrait chris evans or was it um just a generic picture of captain america generic like a captain uh, just a captain america almost like they took something from a comic and then Mm. transitioned it into uh kind of a a photo yeah because they probably at that point not they might have um, been in pre-production or you know even writing stages of the Captain America movie, but probably had not gotten to that point yet. And two different um, studios. One's Universal, and we talked about uh, that first Captain America, first Avenger wasn't a Disney product yet. And then the last one, I'm glad but they you were st- still they were still under that Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. Thing, right? Yes, but not one controlling interest that had all the phases. As I'll get mm. into later in this movie, you can kind of tell that there wasn't a actual maybe grand plan, especially when they made this film. I'm glad you caught on the next trivia night because it would co- totally blown this one. But, you know, contrary to popular belief, at the end of this movie, remember for our listeners, this is heavily spoiled. This is a spoiler podcast this is a deep dive into content so the scene we get at the end with stark and ross i always thought was a mid-credit scene but it in fact is not it occurs before the credits and as it stands it is only one of two in the mcu that do not contain that the other being in game it's a great catch by my co-host graham thomas well you know anymore like you're expecting um, a mid-credit scene, an end-credit scene, and if it's you know Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, about eight you know mid-credit scenes. I mean, you know, it's part of the fun of the movies anymore. Is is what what are they going to put into this to to kind of tease us into the next movie? That's one of my favorite things about it. And um, you know, I, I think if they were to redo this movie, you'd probably see it as a mid-credit type scene. Yeah, but most likely for it sure. It has the feel, it definitely has the feel of a mid credit type scene and um I'm sure, you know, as you pointed out that you know, you seeing Tony Stark there was one of your favorite moments. Loved so. it. He comes in on fire as always. <laughs> now we're going to transition into our rundown. So we kind of discuss the movie and remind you of some of the different aspects and things that take place and kind of break down some of the scenes. So opening Mm. sequence, it shows that flashback to the gamma experiment that you talked about and how Banner became the Hulk. We get to see 
Betty Ross in a hospital bed and Thunderbolt Ross kicking Banner out in just rage. We then get a nice uh, montage of these news clippings that even talk about a killer green monster and a green Sasquatch. We get to see Ross attempting to track him down. I find this opening sequence to be one of the best parts of the film. It's very like Jason Bourne-like as far as the clippings and them showing people trying to track this individual. It's a great sequence. It makes you wonder, like, if they were to make that movie, like, if they were to have pulled those scenes from an actual previous movie and been able to link, you know, the origin movie from 2003 and 2009 together, what they what this could have been. But because they cut that cord, you know, you don't have that. And I think that's why we like that opening sequence is it, is it bridges back to something, but the something it's bridging back to doesn't really exist. There was no movie of this in this universe. Yeah, correct. It's, it's and maybe a, they still, maybe they can still go back and remake it. I don't know. Has it been long enough? You know, can we, can we make Mark Ruffalo, you know, 30 years younger? I don't know. Nowadays they can make anyone look younger. That's for certain after watching Captain Marvel and some of the effects that they help with Samuel L. Jackson. So this, as far as visual and getting to see scenes, this film actually, after the credits, opens in Roshina, Brazil. It's in a favela. I don't know if you're a big gamer, but Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, there is a map called Favela, and they use this exact structure for that game map. For, so for someone like me who in college played that relentlessly, this was a great opening kind of pan of that area. Last uh, gaming device that I ever really did anything with was a PlayStation Two. So what does that tell you? Yeah, it's, so it's it's been a been quite some time. We get to see, a while. We get to see Bruce Banner <laughs> in his apartment attempting to learn Portuguese. Uh, he's got his dog with him. He has a very humble apartment. Uh, he walks to a meeting with a man to work on breathing exercises. The man slaps him repeatedly, and Banner looks at his pulse as he tries to control his emotions with his breathing. Banner goes to his job where he works inside of a factory that bottles soda. While there, we get a scene where he cuts his thumb and blood drops onto a, a conveyor belt where they, he has to quickly stop the process because he wants to clean up the blood. He doesn't want samples of his blood getting out of that factory. Uh, however, blood does end up inside one of the bottles that is shipped to the United States. After this, you know, his shift ends. He's stopped by a group of men. He tries to stop this group of men from messing with a female coworker, And he tries to use the famous Hulk line, you won't like me when I'm angry, but he can't quite say angry in Portuguese and ends up saying, you won't like me when I'm hungry. <laughs> so I go back to the whole, like, you know, the, the, the incident where he cuts himself. How many times, you, you know, that just makes me think, how many times do you think that happens in factories anymore where, you know, how many times have I had a Coke or something or a soda that had Bruce Banner's infected blood in it? <laughs> you know, maybe I don't want to know the answer to that. I, it's an interesting point you bring up, especially in the, the COVID-19 crisis with all these different things that I buy from the store. Who the heck knows what has occurred in the factories that they come out of? This, this is kind of a callback to the uh, a famous mm. novel called The Jungle, kind of set up what the what is now the fda because of all the terrible things that were happening in factories and this would definitely be a terrible thing 
Well, if you turn into an abomination, we'll know what happened. Uh, yes, I will be uh, at least. I don't know which version. Will I be an abomination that can still speak? Because maybe I can talk my way out of it. We'll see. So we flash forward to Banner in his kind of homemade lab, attempting to use the certain flower to concoct some type of serum to stop the issues. But once again, it is a failure. He's communicating with someone named Mr. Blue via an encrypted messaging app. He sends him a vial of his blood via mail because Mr. Blue suggests that he needs more data. So on the rewatch, I had totally forgotten about um, Mr. Blue being who Mr. Blue ends up being. I I just swore it was Tony Stark. I was like, you know, that's Tony Stark. Mr. Blue is Tony Stark. Stark's well aware of what Banner's doing and is trying to help him. And I had, just completely forgot about it. Carry that would have been that would have been incredible. I even on the rewatch for a second was thinking, is this Liv Tyler? Because he glances slowly at the picture of her neck, you know, next to him. But so he sends this. You had forgot too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, I, this movie resonates so poorly with me that I just had forgotten a crucial plot point there. So we flash to the Pentagon where Thunderbolt Ross sits at his desk and an aide comes in to tell him about a man in Milwaukee, hello, Stan Lee, drinks a soda with that had the Banner blood inside of it. This lets Ross know exactly where Banner is. He scrambles a team to fly to Brazil to get Banner. Emil Blonsky, so, oh, go ahead. We never, you know, would have been fun to figure find out what happened to Stan Lee after drinking the blood, you know? Right. Did he did turn he, into he be, a monster? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what happens when you drink blood that has gamma radiation. I'm assuming maybe he just died. Who knows? That would have been interesting if they had, like, this is what happened to him. So Emil Blonsky shows up. He's a highly decorated soldier. This is our Tim Roth character. He joins the team. You said, you know, British men are great villains. I wish they would have just kept his British accent. It wouldn't be the first time in the MCU where a British soldier was working with the Americans. Well, didn't they explain in the movie, they said that he was born in Russia and raised in England and. Yes. Like all these things, but his like his actual, how he speaks in real life. He does not use that voice within the movie, which was an odd choice to me. And and his orders, all their orders are to capture banner alive. They want to try to bring him in because according to Thunderbolt, he's property of the U S government. So we flash back to Banner in his apartment. His computer beeps, and Mr. Blue notifies him that his blood had a significant gamma reduction, which is a good sign. So Blue asks for, once again, more data, to which Banner tells him he does not have that data. Ross' team begins to sweep through Brazil to locate Banner, and they make their way to his apartment and blow the door with Simtex. When they enter, he's nowhere to be found, and then they shoot the dog! They shoot it! Yeah. Unbelievable. How, how dare they? Just... You know? Get that scene out of here. What did I mean? I mean, that was the first tell, I guess, at what is it, the soul of Emil Blonsky. Yeah. Well, you know, not to spoil anything, but his entire role in this movie is just to be a tough guy. And, you know, you shoot the dog. How dare you? You know, this goes to back to our first pod with Captain America when Steve Rogers is sitting there having the conversation and asking why him and the doctor tells him that the super soldier serum makes good men, you know, great. And it makes evil men, you know, worse. 
and he uses a version of super soldier serum and he's a bad man and look what happens to him i think that was a great kind of tie-in did you feel like he was a bad person before that or was he just trying to do his job i don't know he just he was but was doing his job shooting the dog i just feel like that was kind of a good inclination that this guy sucks so Banner slips away from the soldiers for a few seconds, but then is once again is spotted by Blonsky. A chase for Banner takes place throughout the city. I just have to throw out the futsal court handball violation by our boy there. He just interrupted a game, probably cost someone a goal. As a soccer coach, I'm furious. Man, I love seeing some of them Brazil jerseys too. It was just, That was yeah. a fun fun scene for the soccer fans out there. While on this chase, though, his watch that keeps track of his pulse is beeping rapidly, and he attempts to use the breathing exercises from earlier to lower it. He runs into those same bad dudes from the bottling plant, and they chase after him as well. His pulse continues to climb. He gets into an interesting choice for him to run to the bottling plant, but as both groups converge on him, his coworkers begin to rough him up to the point where he finally transforms into that big, green, lovable monster, the Hulk. And he just quickly washes his coworkers, just drops them. The soldiers' tranquilizers bounce off him as they continue to fire. The Hulk easily escapes the situation after throwing a forklift at Blonsky. I know this is this is one of your favorite moments in the film. <laughs> well, I mean, just from one of the favorite quotes. We'll get into that later, but um, you know, the, you never really know how heavy those forklifts are. But we. Uh, when we were moving out of the Herald Leader building back in 2017, we had two dead forklifts that we had to get rid of. And those suckers are so heavy. We, we had to get, um, we couldn't lift them with the tractor. It was, we had to push them. They were, they were not able to lift on, they would have broken the arm on the tractor. They're so heavy. It's like, it's a forklift, but there's, I'm telling you. And the Hulk is solid. And for the Hulk, it was just nothing. So after this, Blonsky, you know, he meets back up with Ross and he asks Ross for more details about who they are chasing. And Ross explains that that thing was, in fact, Bruce Banner. And he tells them they will be heading home. The next morning, Banner wakes up in the jungle. And we get a graphic that shows us days without an incident. One. I love that, by the way. There's one thing I do like about the movie I like the days without incident. It is you know. a nice, especially when we get to the end, I don't want to get too far ahead, but yeah, this is a nice touch to the film. Banner waves down a bus and he finds out that he's in Guatemala now, which fortunately his Spanish is uh, much better than his Portuguese, so he can have a conversation with this man. And then we get this large shot of his Banner makes his way to Mexico and eventually to the United States, but it's a, it's an arduous journey that he has to to get that far north ross pulls blonsky in and gives him a detailed briefing where they discuss a super soldier serum they begin talking about banner's work and how he tested it on himself ross explains how they did have one promising serum and is implied that he plans to use it on blonsky i I had forgotten all about this i was like the heck is he talking about during the movie i you know I just don't think you. about this movie day and night. I had, you know, prom, one promising serum. I thought Rogers had that one. Right. You know? I, I guess this was upon 
uh, their attempt to recreate that same project. So we, we flashed to Banner, and he's attempting to visit Betty Ross at Culver University. So he's made his way from Guatemala to Virginia. She sits on a park bench with Banner watching in the distance. Banner contacts an old friend who owns a pizzeria, and this guy lets him stay with him and use his pizza delivery outfit as a disguise. And this is the moment we get Lou Ferrigno. As he enters the university building to try to get past the security, he gives Ferrigno a free pizza, and Ferrigno, you know, the security guard, lets him on in. He enters his old lab and accesses a computer in the lab to find old files. All of his files, however, have been deleted. He contacts Mr. Blue on the computer to tell him, you know, what has occurred. And Mr. Blue tells him he cannot help him without those files. Interesting that he, Betty Ross, does not change her password, right? Very interesting. So Betty Ross actually enters the pizzeria with her, her now boyfriend, and her old boyfriend, Bruce, walks out of the kitchen and their eyes connect. So she runs to the kitchen to find him, but he runs out the back and hides behind a dumpster. Betty goes back inside, incredibly shook up, and asks this pizza owner for the truth. I love that his name's Stanley. I wish maybe they just would have used Stanley to be the pizza guy. <laughs> yeah. Would have been too big of a role, I think, for Stanley. Yeah, it would have gone against all the different cameos that he's done. So we find Bruce walking on a bridge in the rain. Betty finds him. How? I do not know. She kisses him after she gets out of the car and asks him to come with her. She has a USB at home that has all of the data on it that she stole before the military took the files. She gives the USB drive to Bruce. And Bruce explains her dad's plan for the Hulk and why they cannot, under any circumstances, contact Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, I mean, kind of an, an awkward moment there. Like, you know, it was it was like Tom Hanks and, um, oh, what's her name? Oh, from Castaway when yes. they, you know, Helen Hunt. back and Helen Hunt. Yeah, and they, they kiss and this is you know, kind of bittersweet and, um, you know, luckily, we get a little more of that, you know, the with those two as the as the story goes on. Yeah, that that's it. The awkwardness between them is, you know, it's it's very because she to to her she moved he, on. Yeah, she was with another guy. She just she wasn't thinking about him and everything he may be going through. We get to see a scene of Thunderbolt Ross going to a cryo storage and he grabs a vial of their attempt at a super soldier serum. Ross brings Blonsky in, explains the rules of the serum experiment. Basically, if any negative symptoms develop, he's off the team. And they inject Blonsky with this super soldier serum. The next day, Banner walks with Betty and notices the soldiers who come pouring out of the bushes to chase him. You know, get- and, and going into this scene, you know, both Amy and I were, we were watching it and we we're like, how did they know? And because I, I had forgotten, as we'll find out, how they did know, and we we do find out later how they knew that um, that Betty was with Bruce. Yeah, but, and what what's incredible is I don't know. You know, I think of my experience in the University of Arkansas campus. It's like how are hundreds of soldiers and Hummers just on this campus? Like, did they get a lot of people out? Of, it's it's a, it's a weird scene, but it, it's one of the most fun scenes because we get all these soldiers and Hummers chasing after him. And we get to see Blonsky showing off his newfound speed as he just 
it's it reminds me of an infinity war when the black panther and steve rogers are like they're ahead of the charge and how fast they're moving compared to everyone else and we get to see that out of blonsky here yeah at the same time like i I find it hard to believe that the hulk just wouldn't rip him apart and i get you know later he does to a certain extent and if blonsky didn't have that super serum in him it would have killed him but Oh yeah, um, like we'll I'm get getting to... way ahead of myself, but I just, <laughs> you know, I was ready to see him rip him down. Yes, from you know the from go, and in fact, Ross has to hold him back from a solo retrieval. But Banner, he makes his way into a library and he just eats the USB because he thinks that's the only way to keep it safe. Uh, Betty tries to stop Ross. He by doesn't st- eat it. He just swallows. Swallows it. it. Yeah, Can that's you yeah. imagine no. trying to swallow something like that. It would be the largest pill I had ever taken to try to just throw that. And he does it without water. He does a dry, like. I, just... and, and I've never understood that with people. How can you be a pill taker and take pills without something to wash it down with? And I'm a good pill taker. I can even take the horse pills, you know. <laughs> well, I've got to have at least a little something to drink to wash it down with. It's it's pretty remarkable by our guy, Bruce Banner. So Betty tries to stop Ross. She stands in front of an armored vehicle that she just knows that he's in. And Ross tells his troops not to engage Banner, but they end up trapping him inside of this kind of skywalk. Uh, the troops fire gas grenades into the skywalk. Bruce watches soldiers tackle Betty, and then he just snaps. The Hulk busts out of the skywalk, and he just starts creating chaos. Troops are firing bullets everywhere. They're just bouncing off of him. There's a student that's filming all of this on their cell phone. And then Blonsky's finally like, I'm going to attack him head on. And he's got all this various weapons, and he shows off some of his new powers, even in the cool backflip scene that he does. And he really baits him into chasing after him as the army just pulls out, I guess, their, their Hulkbuster-type weapon, which is the sonar cannons. And it kind of knocks the Hulk down for a while. But Betty screams, and it gives him this extra motivation, and he just takes them all out. And Blonsky, I don't know why, he continues to try to fight the Hulk, but the Hulk just smashes him into a tree, which a normal human probably dead instantly. Yeah, and what we go go on to find out that it shattered almost every bone in his body. Yes, which when you watch it, you're like, golly so betty approaches the hulk as a gunship flies in firing on him but he covers up betty and knocks the helicopter out of the sky with an armored plate amidst all this devastation he does save betty by shielding her he leaves the wreckage after staring down ross we flash to ross taking all of the files from betty's house as the hulk finds a cave for him and Betty to get out of the rain. We get to see that the Hulk is capable of not harming and has still some connection to the world around him. She calms him down, grabs his hand, and tenderly speaks to him. We flash, though, to the hospital bed where Blonsky has been severely injured. Ross walks away thinking, well, this guy is dead. But back in the cave the next morning, the Hulk has turned back into Bruce Banner. Betty gets a room at this Roach Motel for the two of them. Bruce retrieves the USB that has passed through him. They don't show it, fortunately. She gifts Bruce purple pants, which is a callback to the television show, and a new pulse monitoring watch. News footage shows all of the chaos at Culver. Betty gives Bruce a new haircut, and they share an intimate moment. 
Bruce has to stop the intimacy, though, because his pulse is accelerating way too quickly. Ross is interrupted once again by the same aide from earlier, and he finds that Blonsky has fully healed. He has gone from every bone broken in his body to up and around and ready to go, not a scratch on him. I mean, you know, we should have known that he was going to be trouble, you know, at that moment. And we had not, you know, got, you know, we didn't have the Captain America movie yet, but that super healing, you know, ability. And it's almost Wolverine-like, right? I mean, because... Uh, yeah. It, it's so fast at how, you know, how he recovers from something so devastating. Yeah. So we get we get to see Bruce explains what their next steps are going to be in the motel room, but we flash to this great war room type scene where Ross is discovering his he's discussing his plan to capture Banner. And on the flip side of that, though, Bruce finds Mister Blue and he sends him all the data files. And it turns out that it's Doctor Stern, played by Tim Blake Nelson, at another university in New York, and they plan on visiting, visiting him. On the way to Mr. Blue, they avoid police checkpoints and take a boat to get to NYC. They take a cab ride to the destination to visit Dr. Stern. Banner and him finally get their face-to-face. I, lo- I just have to say I love Tim Blake Nelson as an actor. Oh, Brother, We're Out Thou, great movie. And the recently um, released miniseries on HBO, which follow is a follow-up to the movie version of Watchmen, he does an excellent job, and he he's a quirky actor. Yeah, he he is a, a funny a funny dude. So they discuss how they're going to fix this. How can they fix Bruce? And he lets them know how big of a challenge they have in front of him. The army, though, they're gearing up for their next confrontation because they have tracked Bruce and Betty. Blonsky stares in a mirror and we begin to see his transformation into the abomination. He tells his fellow soldiers as he gets on there, the helicopter, he, that he's feeling like a monster. <laughs> um, you know, truly a, he is, is gone evil, you know? Yeah. When he's sitting there staring, you know, we talked about Edward Norton and red dragon earlier the scene where he's staring into the mirror and he starts that like grotesque, like arching of the back. It kind of reminded me of red dragon and the villain that we get in that kind of how he thought himself of a monster, even though he didn't actually have this serum in him. So we, we get in Stern's lab, we get their attempt to make a, Bruce, Bruce again. And the experiment requires inducing an episode though out of him and turning him into the Hulk. Ross though, she, she calms Bruce down just enough to give Stern time to administer the antidote. Banner transforms back into himself as the process takes place. However, the army's approaching and Stern explains everything that had just happened in the process, including test subjects such as rats and mice he had tried this on. Stern shows Bruce an entire room full of his blood samples and how the application could be used to save lives and stop different things such as cancer. They argue about what to do, and Bruce tells them they have to destroy it all. Blonsky, as they land, takes off to capture Banner. 
As Stern and Bruce argue, Banner is tranquilized by a sniper as Blonsky enters and attempts to bring the Hulk out of Banner because he wants round three. So my thought was when he got tranquilized, how come and, – and Amy pointed out that it was probably because he still had the antidote in him, but why didn't he turn into the Hulk right then? <laughs> you I'm, know, anytime there's any – like an attack on his body, he, he turns into the Hulk. Right. I guess it has something to do with that antidote being administered so close that time. But, yeah, that's a great point brought up by Amy. Um, he knocks Banner out easily, and Banner is strapped to a gurney and taken out of the lab. Betty and Ross have a harsh interaction where she tells him she's no longer his daughter in her eyes. Blonsky stays in the lab and he uses Stern to basically, he wants to become the Hulk. And Stern even uses the term that he could become an abomination when Blonsky asks for him to transform him. Stern uses a gamma radiation process on Blonsky. This procedure mixed with Blonsky's super soldier serum turns him into the abomination. He knocks Stern into the machinery, and some of the gamma blood drips onto his head, creating this bulging brain. And that's a callback to one of the Hulk's greatest nemesis, the leader, a super intelligent megalomaniac with an oversized uh, towering cranium. And this is proof that before Disney took the reins, that it was kind of the Wild West, and maybe each studio had their own plans, and they were trying to set up a sequel based on this scene. Yeah, I mean, and when, but when you're watching it, you know, you just, when you're watching it 12 years afterward and not remembering, you know, whether there was going to be any deleted scenes afterward or, or whatever, you just like, what the heck do they do with this? They did nothing with this. Nada. And it's just frustrating. Extremely, it, like, just. Not they, even a mention. No, by anyone. Even, it's just, we'll get into all that later. It begins, so, the abomination begins creating all this chaos to the point that Ross is contacted by the army. The helicopter turning, uh, carrying Banner turns around, and they finally get eyes on the abomination. The screens on the helicopter show him just tearing up the streets of New York. The army fires rockets at him, but he just catches them in midair and destroys them. Banner convinces Ross to allow him to jump out of the helicopter to combat the abomination. Betty tries to stop him, fearing what if he doesn't turn into the Hulk? As he jumps and falls to Earth, he realizes she may have been right. And all we get to see is there's this crater as his body hits the ground. The size of that crater, though, immediately gives you the uh, lets you know that from this rubble, the Hulk rises. And he lets out this powerful roar at the abomination. The two begin this vicious battle, and the army opens fire on the abomination to attempt to help the Hulk out. Bullets do nothing, just like they do to the Hulk. After a wild sequence with the helicopter that ends with it going down, we see Betty awakening to just death in the entire helicopter. Everyone in there is dead except her and her severely injured father. The Abomination and Hulk continue their Royal Rumble. The gasoline catches fire, and it looks like it's going to blow the helicopter up, but then he slaps his hands together. What's what's going on? Is he knocking all the oxygen like I, out of the area? The, the, the breeze blew it out? I don't know. I don't I mean, know. It was just a weird, a weird moment. Yes. So the Abomination continues. It just He's really putting it on the Hulk. And... But though right before the abomination can kill Ross and Betty, 
the Hulk yells, and we finally get some lines from him, Hulk smash! And he just – he starts winning the battle. You know, he starts choking him, stabbing him, crushing him, almost to the brink of death as he loses control until Betty stops him from basically ripping the head off as a crowd begins to gather around them. And all the police, soldiers, firefighters, and civilians, they witness all this. Uh, Hulk says the name Betty. And as a helicopter hovers over Hulk, though, he runs away, not without his final glance back at Betty. The screen flashes to Betty looking out to Liberty Island from Battery Park in New York, thinking of Bruce. What do you think of that that whole fight sequence? You know, I just and I will I will get into it later. I just like you know, first of all, what you know. It wasn't like he did anything just overly stunning into abomination that he couldn't bounce back for. Just choked him a little while, and then second, how the heck are they going to control him without the Hulk around? It's you know, it's definitely. I'm going to have a definitely a rant on that here in a couple minutes. We get a scene that it cuts to. It's Bella Coola, British Columbia. Uh, that's in, in Canada. Bruce runs across this countryside. He opens up a package in the mail and finds Betty's mother's necklace that they had to pawn earlier to have cash to get to New York. He puts the necklace in an envelope and mail and is set to mail it back to her. The film ends with Bruce embracing his ability to turn on the to turn into the Hulk on command, showing that his new plan is to control the beast inside of him. We get a flash as his eyes turn green that says zero days without incident. We go to black screen, thinking the movie's over, but it doesn't go to credits. It goes to Tony Stark visiting Ross, who has been obviously drinking at a bar, this bar, for quite some time. He discusses how terrible an idea it was to use the serum, and he briefs Ross on a team that they're putting together, which we know as the Avengers Initiative. So I want to go back to that moment where, you know, he shows his new plan to control the beasts inside of him, and, you know, but clearly that that's all you know, kind of forgotten in the adventures because, you know, they have to kind of force Banner up until the very end to be able to become the Hulk. He's trying to avoid it and avoid it. He can't just, you know, they make him mad enough and he, he can't do anything about it. And, you know, and there at the end of the Avengers, of course, he's like, Hey, I figured it out and is able to do it right on command. Yeah. When he said, well, he's like, uh, that's the problem cap. I'm always angry. Uh, yeah, so they kind of retconned that this entire movie when they did that. Let's get into our favorite moments, our top five, along with our favorite quotes. We'll do rotisserie style this time. You give me one, I'll give you one. Lead us off. Okay, well, I so my first one, I really enjoyed the chase through Brazil. And, you know, just so many houses and, and developments in such a small area, and I... I thought they did a good job of like filming that. That couldn't have been easy to do, you know, just the rooftop chase and, um, and, and, and a place like that. And I just kept thinking about like, you know, COVID-19 and the spread of disease and, you know, you're already in, in an area like that in such danger of something like that to happen. It just really hit home and watched that. I was like, boy, you know, in a place like that, I mean, I don't know what good sheltering is going to do anybody. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, we think about while watching superhero movies. Right, how close compacted everyone was together in that favela. My The opening sequence, I just enjoy how they approach this. It's well done. We just had the Hulk in 03, so there was not really a need to dive too much into the scenes where he turns into the Hulk with all that gamma stuff. So that was, that was definitely one of mine. What's uh, your second one? Well, and I would have had that one too, except you got to the notes before I did. So. I stole it. Uh, I go to the cave scene. I feel like this is our first, the sun's getting real low kind of scene with, with Bruce and, you know, that him and, and black widow perfected in Avengers Ultron and they kind of mock and have fun with the movies thereafter. But, um, you know, I thought it it showed that there, you know, he can, he can be calmed down by the right person. He does know what's going on. He's just not going crazy. And, so I thought that was a good scene. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely sets up how Natasha kind of calms him down and in, in what's yet to come. I like when he first turns into the Hulk, that first time you see the soldiers kind of looking through in their uh their scopes. The guys are kind of bullying him and then just green eyes, boom, there's our Hulk. What's your third one? Uh, you know, the fight on the campus, and then it's going to be your third one, too, I see. But uh, and really specifically, when they brought out that sound tech to try and, and deal with him, that was – I remember being in the theater, and that was really cool. Like, there, there's a few really cool sound moments from movies that I remember. That's one of them. Another one is the um, the depth charges in Attack of the Clones and Star Wars and, and the asteroid field that just had that – you know the, oh yeah 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 and then you know just just uh when you see something in the theater like that's just a different experience and you know that was an interesting way to try and deal with the the hulk to try and defeat him with the sound deal yeah and they never go back to that in any other movie because it apparently i mean it looked like it was working yeah you just touched on my third one so i'll go into my number four hulk smash when he yells that that's just it's an iconic line and it's a line we get callbacks to and i just love when the hulk says that because when you think of the hulk you think of him just smashing everything in front of him yep uh my number four we've talked about it a lot already is that lou ferrigno cameo is just a lot of fun yes and then we both i think we love that end that end scene with him in Canada and as he sits there with his legs crossed and he's breathing in and it looks like he's trying to meditate and then he just you know he has no real uh, anything around him that would elicit him to turn into the Hulk so it kind of shows that he's mastered control and ability and boom he snaps and goes into him yeah uh, just you know despite whatever they did to ruin all that with the, the Avengers or, or vice versa, you know, I can't say that they ruined it with the Avengers, but, um, you know, just uh, green eyes. Anytime you do an effect like that, I think it's kind of cool. Agreed. Now into quotes. Um, I've got a few here. I already talked about Hulk smash, but I really like, uh, in the scene in the plant, when in in very poor Portuguese, he's trying to say, "Don't make me angry." You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Uh, this kind of turns into probably what's more line for stuff I say. Don't make me hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. You are hangry. <laughs> when you become when you're hungry. Yes. 
Uh, I go back to the first thing the Hulk says in the movie, leave me alone. I mean, that was kind of a, a cool moment because I had forgotten that he said that. I was like, I didn't think he said anything until Hulk smash. Right. He and only has so many lines. That's definitely one of them. This is, you know, often we have to watch stuff with the closed captions on because kids are in bed or we're trying not to have the things so loud that it's bothersome to what everybody else is doing. So, you know, it's possible that we may never have caught that before because you just didn't get to read it. So one of mine, I got to, Gotta call out my boy Tony Stark with his one small little scene here where he's, he walks in the bar and he's just classic Tony. The smell of stale beer and defeat. You know, I hate to say I told you so, but the Super Soldier Project was put on ice for a reason. I've always felt that hardware was much more reliable. Classic yeah, Tony. I'd, I'd forgotten about it, but you know what? What it sets up that quote so good is just the the smell of stale beer and defeat. You know, just like how Tony Stark can, you know, because you can't ever imagine Tony Stark drinking a stale beer. No. Um, I got Blonsky saying, you know, this is a whole new level of weird, and I don't want to step away, and I don't think I want to step away from it, sir. If you're going to take another crack at him, I want in, and with respect, sir. You'll need a team that's prepared and ready to fight because if that thing shows up again, you're going to have a lot of professional tough guys pissing their pants, sir. <laughs> it was just a good good quote from Tim Roth there. Yeah, and I agree with you on your last one at the bottom. How do you feel? Pissed off and ready for round three. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of the, a lot of the good one-liners in this. I guess we skipped over. Go ahead and give us your forklift quote. Oh, yeah, he uh, – it threw a forklift truck like it was a softball. I mean, <laughs> you know. He did. He probably, what do you think the radar gun had on it? Had on him there? 84 tops. 84 tops. So he's not, he's, he's not going in the first five rounds of this year's MLB draft here. So let's go into Dr. Strange. What if universe We're casting possibilities and who would you have cast? So let's start with our hero. Bruce Banner possibilities. They they thought about different people in this role. David Duchovny from X-Files. Eric Bana, yet again. But the director, he wanted Mark Ruffalo. But Marvel insisted on Edward Norton. Who is the best Hulk? Mark Ruffalo. Opinion? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and not necessarily who is the best Hulk, but who is the best Bruce Banner? Mm-hmm. And, and to me, Bruce Banner is a scientist. You know, he has to look like a scientist, not like a, you know, a GQ model like Eric Bana or, you know, Edward Norton. Edward Norton can kind of, yeah, he can pull off the, you know, nerdy professor type look, but it may be a scientist look as well. Mark Ruffalo, I think, does that the best out of all of them, though. He just, you know, he, he when when he gives that vibe that he's very intelligent and smart and, um. And to to this point, I, I think he's the best. And, you know, and, and something else I thought about in the, the Eric Bana version, his Hulk did not look like him. No. In this movie, um, the, well, Edward Norton's Hulk did not look like Edward Norton, but Mark Ruffalo's Hulk does look like Mark Ruffalo to a certain extent. 
Well, what they, I think what they did since they used the voice of Ferrigno, they actually captured motion captured him to create the Hulk CGI version. So that, so that's why it doesn't look, but I agree with you. It makes more sense that why would he turn into looking something completely different? Wouldn't he still keep some of the facial structure of who he is pre turning into the Hulk? So I agree. Mark Ruffalo we get all the way to obviously Professor Hulk in Endgame. That definitely is a better version of Hulk and slash Bruce Banner, in my opinion, as well. Well, and part of the magic of when Lou Ferrigno played the Hulk back in the what was it, the 80s or the 70s is that was him. He was just all that green paint on him. I mean, yeah. so I don't know. I I'm I'm for Mark Ruffalo at this point and if they can find a way to keep telling this, you know, stories throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe with him moving forward, then and that would be great. I don't know what they would do if they had to get a new Hulk. It, it would be weird. It, I don't know if I'd want to watch it. So for Thunderbolt Ross, they once again, they looked at Sam Elliott, who played the same character in the 2003 version. I love Sam Elliott. I mean, his voice is iconic. I mean, it just but, makes you want a banquet beer, doesn't it? <laughs> he just makes me want to have, you know, beef because it's what's for dinner. But uh, Hurt, I love Hurt in this role. What are your thoughts? He, you know, he does a great job. And, um, you know, the as we talked about earlier on this, just, you know, William Hurt just makes you – love to hate the character oh so. yeah yes i agree 100 percent. uh we had just a small one ray stevenson who ends up being volstag in the thor films he was initially uh considered for the role of mil blonsky ray stevenson also known for his portrayal in the hbo series rome but he also played punisher in a follow-up it was almost a direct video version of punisher um regardless of who they cast in that role, it would have been tough. Let's go into Betty Ross. Liv Tyler's Betty Ross, but who's the better version here? Is it Jennifer Connelly in 2003 or is it Liv Tyler in 2008? I'm going to take Liv Tyler just because I, I haven't seen the 2003 Hulk in a long time. Um, so kind of I, a, I love a question. I love Jennifer Connelly. But I'm with you. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I just something about Liv Tyler, and I think you touched on it. Well, I won't. I won't cut into it. But when we get to thoughts from your wives, I agree with your wife on it's kind of weird, like her portrayal as Betty Ross. Now we get into Tony Stark questions corner: the why, the what, and the doesn't make sense, the plot holes that we found. So we'll go back and forth. I'm going to start with how does. Betty, you know, one, she doesn't change her password, but for someone who hasn't changed their password in that long, how do they also have an encryption application on their desktop computer to communicate with people? And is Dr. Stern just always at his computer? How did that work in that scene? There are some people that I literally believe are always at their computer. I guess. I Always around their email. Like, I mean, just every time I send one, you know, maybe it goes to their iPhone anymore. I don't know. True, having your phone on you, but it's like she has the same encryption thing on her desktop. So clearly she values security, but not enough to have a different password years later. It's a, Maybe it's a, 
maybe they're like Neo from the Matrix. You know, they're always just you know constantly talking to Morpheus and <laughs> yeah, to other to some secure person, or she's trying to find Bruce. Give me one of your uh, questions, Corner. Well, after he turns into the Hulk and he's basically you know in in South America and he's naked and broke. How does he get out of South America? How does he find the funds to get? I mean, I can't even leave this state and. You know, he's finding a way to get out of South America with no money, no, no anything. Yeah, like there's the scene where it seems like he's napping, but it looks like he's panhandling. But that that was like a peso. I don't know how he got to Virginia. How did he cry? How, you know, there's a lot of th- that whole journey is just an entire questions corner. Uh, how do only Betty Ross and Thunderbolt Ross survive the helicopter crash? Like, everyone's instantly dead. She has really no injuries. Her dad is kind of hurt. And everyone else is dead. What? It, it Can't have one other soldier survive? It was just, that was rough to watch. Like, it was like being on a uh, ship full of uh, clones or stormtroopers, you know. They're, they're just all going to die. They're all yeah. you know, so insignificant. What's another one of yours? Um, you know, you see the, you see the shot of Doctor Stern on the lab floor the, after the abomination creation, and something's going out of his head. And you know, why didn't they go ahead and do a hidden scene with more Doctor Stern? You know, and hint there was going to be a continuation or something was going to happen to him. You know, that that was one that stood out to me. Like, why? Who made the decision that we're not going to at least tease to it? Why we already had the chance to tease to it? Yeah, you know. It's it's tough when you kind of show an audience this and then you never get a chance to go back to it. One of mine is what happens to the abomination after this movie? Production notes, they discuss how the plan there was a plan in place by Disney that they were going to bring him out in Ultron, but like where do they store him? Is there like a stark contraption that can withhold him and like like put down the gamma within him? What what go what where do they put him? What do they do with him? Yeah, I, I wonder the same thing. Like, is he in a, you know, if he turns into an abomination, can't he just break out of whatever he's in? You would imagine so. I also don't understand when you talk about money is how does he, what is he doing in Canada that, how did he purchase the cabin? How did he buy that necklace? Like, I'm just so confused at what occurred and, and his ability to make money off of seemingly doing nothing. Yeah, I wish I had that ability. Now we're going to transition into what we like to call the snap. And what we would snap from this movie, uh, I I just, can I snap the whole movie? So I'll go have a specific thing. I'm snapping his journey from Guatemala to Culver University. I think the film could have went without that. I understand that we're trying to show that he's got this like, you know, tough route in front of him but i believe in my opinion it just went so long yeah uh you know you gotta have i think if there had been some better explanation of 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 the journey and how he did it maybe it would have been better to have it in there but it's just like all of a sudden you know he's making the trip but nobody knows how he's doing it nobody knows you know it's not like he has a, a guy that's funding him through it uh, this this seemed wrong. Yes. What are you snapping? 
so I am absolutely snapping the shooting of the dog. We've Oof. talked about it. You just can't do that. No, unnecessary. I under, I guess the whole point was to show kind of person Blonsky was, but there's got to be another way. Got to be another way. The poor dog. Poor dog. I'm snapping the abomination as the villain that they use. I would have preferred they just stick with maybe just Ross and make it more of like a Jason Bourne version of a movie, but, or how incredible would it have been if they could utilize maybe a juggernaut or a Wolverine. And I know that at this time, Universal had rights to the Hulk and Fox had rights to X-Men, but you look at comic and comic books and the nemesis of the Hulk, obviously the leader appears most often, but some of the best ones are his interaction with X-Men at the end of the day, you know, the leader being the greatest adversary, that would have been great. And I guess that was maybe the plan, but like we talked about, they just never did anything with it. Yeah. I am definitely snapping the clap to put out the helicopter fire. I mean, really? Come on, man. If it's going to like wash that much fire, like I want your opinion on this. Would it also have moved the helicopter or like why not why not snatch him out of the helicopter and sling the helicopter into the bay or something? I don't know. I mean he's I, powerful enough to do that. It was a weird way to shoot that scene for sure. Uh lastly, I'm snapping I'm snapping my guy Edward Norton. Uh Ruffalo to me is the ultimate Bruce Banner Hulk. The choice by Disney to go in a different direction clearly a gamble as far as continuity but a necessary one yeah i mean i'm i'm ambivalent about ed norton as the hulk so uh ruffalo is the is the guy though so you know maybe if you could have made the movie with ruffalo as the hulk here Mm -hmm. um if you could snap that and, and replace it uh, you know, maybe we'd have we'd feel different about because we have some continuity with it. As it is, we've got three Hulks, you know, and there's no con- continuation between any of them. Yeah, I like your last snap that you have in the notes about just snapping this one all together and just leaving O three where it was. Yeah, I mean, why can't you just pick the story up from right there? Um, I, you know, I've I've also got another snap that. Um, you know, and this kind of leads into what you're saying about the abomination, but you know, he's locked up and no one knows where he is. And, you know, there's a perfectly good villain criminal sitting there with nobody to, you know, with, with, you know, no mention of him, <laughs> not one mention of him since then. Ever again, just lost. For if they turn. were to, if they were to mention him again, nobody would know who he was. Cause they can't remember this. They can't remember this movie. And I and I doubt I just yeah no one would go is so the where's this villain where's this character coming it's it's tough it's a tough tough rewatch so that will segue into our villains hall of fame where we rank each villain within the MCU do you want to go first you want me to go first okay I'll, I'll go first okay. so um I guess if we're talking about villains you know I guess you have to say Colonel Ross and and the Abomination is kind of a combo villain in this movie. Um, and I've actually got them ranked and I, my rankings don't really, 
Well, I thought I had them ranked. My, I, it's funny. There's only 23 movies, and I've got 28 villains listed. So, what, oh but, yeah, um, I've got a list that goes into the 30s. But so I've, mo- I've got I've them mostly... ranked. I've got them ranked at number 23, and um, this this list is still ever evolving. But what that tells you is, you know, they weren't just, you know, Colonel Ross is a is a good villain. But when you have to, but I think the real villain is Abomination and. Mm-hmm. There's just, he's too quick to to that villain status, and there's not enough build up. I mean, he's not necessarily a bad guy at the beginning; he becomes a bad guy. It's just interesting and weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. When you get into these, it's kind of tough because you have multiple villains within the different films. But if you strictly go one villain from each movie, that's kind of how I've decided to go about it. I, I'm going to go with the abomination because that's the big bad. That's the showdown at the end. And Ross kind of shows his heart to allow Hulk to leave. So I'm going 23 out of 23. 23rd, last place. I find it quite fitting that the villain's name is the abomination because this is an abomination to all things MCU. I just... Tim Roth's character has no development. He goes on one single mission. And he doesn't really do anything outside of what the other soldiers were doing. And Ross just thinks, this guy's awesome. I'm going to inject him with this serum that I've been sitting on for five years. And then he's just left alone with Dr. Stern. And boom, he's this giant beast. And he can still talk. Like, he still has all function, yet he loses all control. He went from a soldier to now he just wants to crush everything. In 20 minutes, he goes on a freaking rampage. Like, what are we doing? To quote (laughs) our good friend Taylor Twellman, what are we doing? This was terrible. Gene Hackman or Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor might have been better villains, even though I didn't even like their portrayals. In the pantheon of villains, this will forever be in the gutter. I think I would rather have you, Graham Thomas, hit me into a tree like the Hulk does to Emil Blonsky than actually ever watch this creature on a movie again unless they can build up where he's been all this time. It's just awful. Wait a minute. You, you just said some fighting words. You don't like Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor? <sighs> I, 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 I love Gene Hackman, but he's not my – he's not – I just – I actually kind of like the greatest Eisenberg. criminal mind of our time. <laughs> I just, those are tough. <laughs> obviously hats off. That was one of the first and I loved him as a kid, but I just don't see him as my comic book and my justice league animated series. Lex <laughs> Luthor. <Otisburg. laughs> oh. I mean, but he's better than the abomination. He's better than Jesse Eisenberg is Lex Luthor. We have totally switched universes here. We have, yeah, we are. This is now. All We've gone from MLS to, to, to the Taylor Twelman. To... The Taylor Twelman quote is after we got knocked out of World Cup qualification and he goes on an absolute rampage about with the direction of U.S. soccer. So, infinity rank. Where do we rank these amongst the whole 23? I'll go Most, first. I'll go, I'll go ahead and go first since I let you do villain. 23. I love Right Ed, at the bottom. Right at – this is getting relegated. It might go back two leagues. I love Edward Norton, and I believe he's an excellent actor, 
and he's done roles that I love. Fight Club is one of Fincher's finest. He kills it. Primal Fear to this day is a movie that my father will always talk about. And he, it's a, but I'm a hard sell on Ruffalo when it comes to these movies and for the Hulk. And the powers to be, they opted for that direction. This is the worst plot out of the 23. It's the most rushed. It has the worst villain. And this was their second, this was the second crack at it. And because it was rushed and forever, this will be the black sheep of the universe. And I desperately want someone to try to change my mind that why this is not the worst, but I doubt they ever will. Yeah, I'm right there with you at number 22. Um, and I'm a, you're going to be up all night wondering which one is number 23, but that's, that's just where I'm at with it. And I don't, you know, I don't think I need to say anything more other than just, you know, there could have been a lot better and, um, and maybe one day it can be better. Maybe there can be a solo Hulk film that we can, you know, reinvent our list. Yeah. I would love for phase four for them to do a solo film where I go, that was, that was great. And maybe that can be when we transition into further podcasts down the road. Let's go into thoughts from our wives. So my wife, ironically really likes this movie and she liked the Hulk movie from 2003. And I don't, I don't understand necessarily why, but, um, and and she admits there are plot holes and that Liv Tyler's constant whispering is strange. And, but she likes the movie. It's kind of like how I like Joe versus the volcano or <laughs> Batman and Robin. I mean, some, sometimes you just really enjoy bad movies. Yeah. And those are two really bad movies that I kind of enjoy. So, and I'm sorry to all our listeners, but I did not want my wife to ever say no to another superhero movie. So I didn't, I watched this solo. I lost, I watched this. I socially distanced this movie from her because I <laughs> want her to enjoy some of these movies. And I thought if she watched this, she would just go, what is going on? So no thoughts from my wife. Let's go into miscellaneous items and final thoughts. You have some notes about the score. Well, I just, you know, when Danny Elfman did the score of the 2003 movie, it felt like really kind of, you know, Bruce Banner turned into the Hulk kind of goofy. It was just, it was very memorable, but this one, not so much. Except for the opening credits. I mean, otherwise it was just very forgettable. Yeah, there's not a moment where the the score blended with a sequence makes me go man that really ties the scene together i'm with you let's go into ultimate letdowns that like go ahead my ultimate letdown on this is that you know yes we get more hulk through the the avengers and thor ragnarok and whatnot but he's really just a side piece we don't really get he's he's out there to help you know basically the only thing that's going on with him is he's trying to figure out how to not turn into the Hulk and to control it and all that. You don't ever get into the personal stuff with Betty Ross and and all that. We need more of that kind of storyline that what makes him tick kind of deal. And we don't get any of that in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So um, my letdown is that this movie kind of sets you up for more and you don't get more. That's a huge one. I think my ultimate letdown is that this is part of the MCU and you ask someone to watch these movies, this has to be something that they work through and that I may never get a Hulk versus Wolverine 
like the animated movie, which I love so dearly. I think that's one of your, that's a colossal battle between two MCU juggernauts. Those are letdowns for me. And the four, a lot of the same things you're saying that we don't get, we haven't got any more of just him. Um, that segues us into our final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on this? You know, Hulk has the potential to be a lot of fun. I mean, you take some elements from, from the 2003 movie, from this movie, and, and there's some really great fun. It's, you know, it, it, it's a huge green monster who is mostly a good guy. And, you know, what is it going to take for some director or writer to truly capture the essence of Hulk in its own movie? Um, you know, my personal feelings aside, both these movies fall short in the aspect of, of capturing who he is. And um, I believe the potential still exists for a Hulk universe where there's more Hulk and he's less of a sideshow. Um, more Hulk. And let's keep working to, to, get, to get there. Uh, surely the Disney people are looking at that and they're going, this is something we can capitalize on. If they're going to do the She-Hulk series, I would imagine Mark Ruffalo finds a way into it. My final thought, I know I've been critical and who am I to bash all the intricacies that go into creating a film with a $150 million budget? But when we go through this gauntlet, this will be the worst use of $399 on a rental that I've ever spent. I love the character Hulk, and I love Thunderbolt Ross. I do not love this film, and I can't wait to move forward in our journey where we get to dive into Hulk in a greater capacity and a much more entertaining watch uh any any final words nope time to move on (laughs) time to roll on so next up we go into the 2011 movie thor starring chris hemsworth natalie portman tom hiddleston anthony hopkins and idris elba get to finally swing the hammer with thor i'm luke shoemaker he's graham thomas This has been the MCU Quarantine Gauntlet. We'll see you next time.